Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavuta, Yerdena Azban. Our daf of the day, Kuf Ted Zayin, 116. Now, not surprisingly, Kuf Ted Zayin continues, our, our topic anyway, continues from our previous daf, where we were talking, as you'll recall, about saving Bekodesh from a fire. So, the Gemara here on, on Ahmed Aleph says, well, what if you had only the blank pages, folios that were going to become Torah. What if they're just blank? They're not. They're not yet written on. Can you save those? And the answer is no. And then there's a whole discussion of, well, what if? And this is really our topic today. There's a, what happens when you ilionot or ilionim? Really, they're called here. Um, they're blank. Folios, right? That's the question here. What if you have um, the books of heretics, right? So that you have, they're not just blank. They've been written on, and they've been written on with texts that are not Torah texts. But now, remember the time period of Chazal is really uh, an era of sectarian and that they're And they're establishing, you know, what comes to be rabbinic Judaism. Uh, so when they say yeah, there's different possibilities of what that really might be. Um, one really might be very simply paganism, right? It also could easily, easily be early Christianity. Um, Christianity was. There are allusions to Christianity throughout Shas, and very often the terms like Notsri, which means like Nazarene, right, were were recast to mean something to be to be something else in in Shas. So, for example, it could have been Ovdei Avarazara, Ovdei Kochavimu Mizalot, right? Terms that mean pagan, and the reason that is is that the Jews themselves did the censoring. So that when they would be checked by the non-Jewish censor, they would not find any, any criticism of Christianity. They would only find criticism, so to speak, of paganism, even though the even though it was really criticism of Christianity. But it would kind of save the dialogue, and then you know the Jews would be in the clear because they weren't criticizing Christianity; they were only criticizing paganism, which Christianity itself was also doing a lot of criticizing of. So, what we're talking about here, we have Gilyonim, sorry, Gilyonim, and so on the one hand, we've got the option of them being these blank pages, and then what if they're the Sifremimim, some kind of apostasy on these pages. Says, not only do you not save them from a fire, but yeah, go ahead and burn them. My love, Gilyonan de Sefer Torah. And then the question is, well, what if you have a blank, a blank, it, it seems to be, aren't we talking about a blank folio for a Sefer Torah, not for for heretical works? And the Gemara here says, Lo, Gilyonin de Sefremimim. We're talking about the blank pages that were to become um, heretical works. Hash de Sefremimim, Gufaihu, Emetilin, so if you if you can't save the actual heretical work with the text there, then what would you mess? Who cares about the blank page? The blank page also you're not going to save. 
הכי כמר וספרי מינין, הרי הן כגיליונין. And it's like saying that the, the heretical works themselves are as if they are blank pages, meaning they, are, they have, uh, you know, it, it's, a real, it's a real criticism, right, to say that those books with words on them that, you know, have put however, however much effort has gone into them, nah, it's like they're blank, it's like they're nothingness. We're, we're not going to object to them being burned. We, in fact, think they should be burned. I want to just point out that the term here, well, we'll come to it in a moment. Yordana, you have a bit here, and then I'll come back and talk about the next bit that I wanted to say. So before I get to the piece that I wanted to read today, which has uh, one of the few women who's actually named, and I wanted to talk a little bit about her, um, you know, I, again, and I think what's fascinating about the text that's on this page is we're going to see other pages where there is reference to either Christian or a heretic, and it's sort of um, either sometimes they were edited out. So you can find versions of the Talmud where some of those texts don't appear, or it's in real coded language. And here we have a text where it's just, it's dealt with head on. Um, and in preparing for this stuff, you know, some of the things I saw is that even like the Gilionim may actually refer to some of the texts that are actually in the New Testament themselves, um, which is sort of interesting to see. I did not spend enough time looking at everything about it. Um, I think there's a ton to read after uh, you've reviewed this stuff. Um, but just, you know, and as I have a little bit more to say, I have a little bit more to add after you talk about, okay, you know, yeah, you're, I know you're going to add later about this. Um, but let me get to my piece that I wanted to read here. So Ima Shalom, uh, so Ima Shalom is a person that we will come across a couple of times here. She's actually named and she was the wife of Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkinus. Here he's just referred to as Rabbi Eliezer. Um, and, uh, uh, and uh, and she was the sister of Rabban Gamliel. Now, this detail will become very important when we learn the favorite, famous story of Tanur Shel Aknai, uh, which is not going to be for many Masachtot, um, but just know this, that this relationship uh, that she was um, married to Rabbi Lezer ben Herkinis, but was Rabban Gamliel, and we're talking about uh, Rabban Gamliel II, um, Rabban Gamliel's sister, Okay. Um, have a, uh, and also one thing to keep in mind, and it's actually going to be more important, I should have said this is, um, a lot of times, uh, particularly in the story of Tanur Shalaknai, she had to sort of maintain peace between her husband and her brother. And it's very interesting that her name is Ima Shalom. Like, was that actually her name? Or is that a name that sort of shows a way that Chazal sort of viewed her and some of the things that she did? And we'll see her pop up in a variety of times uh, in, uh, in uh, the Talmud. Um, and this is the first time that we've been introduced to her. And so they tell us the, uh, an interesting story. So there was a philosopher who lived in their neighborhood. And many of the commentators explain, and you'll see that in the translation of Safaria, that presumably this was some type of like Christian philosopher. And he sort of presented himself in a way that he had a reputation that he would not accept bribes. Okay. So that this is how he, you know, that he was sort of this, you know, uh, very wise and pious man of the neighborhood. Um, and, and they wanted to mock him. Right. So um, Ima Shalom basically wanted to show that he was actually 
a, um, uh, a, a uh, you know, that he wasn't really being truthful. Um, so what did they do? Ali Ale Sharga, right? So they brought him, uh, the Tahaba, sorry. So they bring him a golden lamb, the Azula Kamre, and they go to visit him. And it's her and Rebel Gamliel go together. That would be made clear in the rest of the story. Amrale. So she says to him, right, to this philosopher, um, So she says, I want to have a share of inheritance of my father's estate. So basically, she's coming to him to sort of um, give a psaktin. Now, what's not clear to me completely in the story is, is that was this a person who identified as Jewish and sort of was secretly was being like, a you know, was Christian or secretly was a heretic? You I don't know? think so. And that's why they were trying to catch to catch him. That's the one piece. But I think it seems to be that it was like he was well known that this is who he was. No, so I, th- presenting- I think, Siardina, I think he's not Jewish. I think it's, I think he's clearly not Jewish. You think so? Okay. That was like one thought I had, but I think you, I think you are correct on that read. So they go to him and they present him with the following case for him to judge, basically, which is she says she wants to have a share of her father's inheritance. And remember, she just gave him this golden lamb. Um, and we know that according to Jewish law, at least, daughters would not, you know, necessarily inherit alongside uh, with their, well, sisters with their brothers, if there were brothers to sort of get the inheritance, right? We, um, right, I, th- I believe we're reading Benot Slavcha this week in Israel. We read it, uh, whatever, we, we just read that. Okay, so Amar Luhu, so he says, um, Hugo, Right. So he said divided. In other words, you should get some and Rebun Gamliel should get some. Presumably, I guess now. Amar lay. OK. And now Rebun Gamliel says to him, OK, Kativ, um, he says, Kativ lan b'makom bara, barata lo tirut. Right. So he says it's written in ours, like it's written in our Torah, that in this situation, the son would be the inheritor, but not the daughter. OK. Amar lay. So then the philosopher answers back to him. Okay. Mean yoma digilutan be arachun it nakli oraita de Moshe. So he says, from the time that you were exiled from, the, from your land, the Torah of Moshe was taken away. Right. And the avon gilion was given in its place. So, I, and I think you're 100% right that this is somebody who's not Jewish. But here, what most people say is what they're referring to here, the Avon Gilion here, is that in other words, that like the Torah of Moshe was basically replaced with the Gospels, right? That there's a new text now that we should be following. We should not be following the text of Moshe. So I want to jump in here. I want to jump in here on this on this point of Avon Gilion, because it's mentioned before you get to this point. And I didn't. Right. So I just want to read it's the opinion of Rebbe Meir. Um, and it's a machlok at Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Meir have a karele avan gilion, meaning wicked gilion, uh, sheets, I guess, whatever, folios. Rabbi Yochanan have a karele avon gilion, meaning sinful gilion. And here's, here's the, the, the clunts, here's the, the beauty of it. Avon gilion is what becomes, if you smoosh it around, you know, and play with it and say it a lot of times fast, it becomes the word that we know as evangelist. Oh, okay. Right? Meaning, and evangelist, if you look up the etymology of evangelist, what you'll see is that it means somebody who is an adherent of the gospel, meaning of this text, of the Gileon. So 
it all works very nicely together in terms of, you know, everybody's talking about the same thing. The evangelists of today would be talking about the gospel that they would believe in. And Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yochanan, whether you call it sinful or wicked, it doesn't matter. They're both disparaging, right? They're putting down the this text that is coming to supplant Torah in their midst, right? Like we know that there was a whole bunch of, they were called new Christians, right? Like that, that's who they were in this in this era. It's very much the beginning of Christianity as a dominant they weren't dominant yet in the time of right. in the time of the Tanayim. But it's amazing to me again, because again, we haven't seen many of those texts, but we will see them later, that this text addresses this head on and it's not really spoken about, you know, in a code. But I, you know, but okay, we'll go on. So then he says, So he says to them, right? And in this new Avon Gilyon, it says, that a son and a daughter shall inherit together. So, right, so his answer to Rebbe Gamliel is basically, yes, your Torah may say that it's only the son who inherits, right? But now, since the exile, right, we no longer believe in, or that Torah of Moshe is no longer the text that you should be using. It should be the Avon Gilion, and it says that a son and daughter actually uh, should inherit together. So what happens, because remember, they're trying to trick him. Lamachar hadar alei, Hadar um, um, So the next day, Ramon Gamliel brings him this type of Libyan donkey. Amar right? And then afterwards, they come um, to the philosopher again, and he says to them, uh, He says, I got, I went to the end of the Avon Gilion, meaning he said, oh, I looked this up, I read a little bit more. And at the end of the Avon Gilion, lo, lo and behold, what does it say? And it says, Right? So what does he say? He says, I didn't come to subtract or take away from the Torah Moshe, and I don't come to add from the Torah Moshe. Now, this is going to be important, because what is it? Is he coming to say that the Avon Gilion says? It says in one place in the Avon Gilion, right? That it says there that what? The son, right? That in a situation where there's a son, the daughter does not inherit, right? Where there's a son, the daughter does not inherit. So remember, what they were trying to do here was to sort of trap him in a way. So first she came with a bribe, right? She came with this golden lamb, right? Ima Shalom with her brother, Rav Gamliel. And he says, oh, you're both supposed to inherit. Then she comes, you know, then Rav Gamliel gives him the donkey. And he says, oh, guess what? I read a little bit more of the Avon Gilion. And I'm not trying to say that your Torah is right, right? Because remember, Rav Gamliel told him, this is what the Torah says to do, which is the brother, uh, you know, inherits if there's a case where there's a brother, even when there's a brother and a sister. But rather what? Later on, it just says that, yes, the daughter would not inherit. Amrale, she says to him, So she says, may your light shine like a lamp. In other words, she's saying, hope you're enjoying that lamp that you got now in your house. Amrale, Rabban Gamliel, And then Rabban Gamliel says, said to him, the donkey came and kicked the lamp. Now, whether he said that or that's actually what happened, the idea is, is that the two of them basically say to him, hey, we're on to you. And we know that you actually were not being honest. 
So I think this is an interesting story because um, I think there's a lot to unpack. We won't obviously have enough time to do all of it. What is it that they're trying to say here? Are they trying to say that there was an inherent dishonesty to these early Christians? Um, are they saying that sort of what I think more of the interpretation is because there's such an emphasis here on the philosophers sort of contrasting the Torah of Moshe versus, you know, what's in the Avon Gilion is that I think what they're really trying to say is, and if you think about it, this also makes sense in terms of who Revan Gamliel was in particular, right? Who really is the Nasi in Yavna. He's the head of the new Beit Midrash, the first Beit Midrash that is out, the first Sanhedrin, sorry, that is outside of Yerushalayim. And his goal is to show that Torah is immutable, that it stands all time. And therefore what they're contrasting here is to say, unlike the Avon Gilion, which just has to do with, you could be bribed to come up with the right answer, but that would never be the case with the Torah of Moshe. There's always a correct answer, and that answer is contained in the text that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu when we received the Torah. I think also we should keep in mind the context here, right? The context of this whole discussion of these heretical texts is in, in the discussion of saving Kitve Kodesh from fire. And I would say that there's kind of a Jewish, and I think it goes back forever, right? A Jewish knee-jerk impulse. Oh my goodness, it's a book. We must save it, right? And this comes to teach like, no, there's some books that really deserve the fire. And that, we can, we can quibble about that. I'm not saying that it would be a universally held opinion today, but I think that that's the point that they're trying to say, like you, when we, when we talk about Kitve Kodesh, we are drawing a very, firm distinction between Kitve Kodesh, the accoutrements of Kitve Kodesh, which would be a blank page, let's say, and then these kinds of texts that are, that, you know, that look like they might be like Kitve Kodesh, because they're still kind of law books, and they're still kind of representing some form of God, right, all of that kind of thing, and the answer is no, right, it's, this is why I, I feel like they're cleaning house, I feel like this is not incidental. I think that it's a very strong passage that they left it in the Gemara. They don't take it out. And they, I mean, it says mean, it doesn't say Christian, but like the idea there is still very much a matter of we are drawing firm lines in the sand and we will go so far as to say that if you, that these texts should be burned, that's how dangerous they are. That's how far they are from Torah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah. And again, I'm just sort of taken by I've actually never saw this text before I got to the doc today. And I'm just struck by how out in the open is like, how did this get past any censor? Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I think they safeguard themselves, right? I imagine that a, I imagine that once upon a time, it said not three, not three Nazarene, right? right? Again, right. meaning so Christian philosophia, right? Like it's clearly a philosopher of some sort. Right. right. And, and then the Christians that. could be we can band together with the Christians against those people. Right. And also, if you go up a little bit higher on Ahmed Aleph, there's this word that's nun sadi resh yud, which I wonder, I, I, I'm 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 speculating here, but I feel like it's kind of an allusion to this term that isn't there. Interesting. Um, that's a good thought. I don't know. I, I got to think about that. Uh, so with that, we'll conclude. That's our DAF for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you for Revanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Um, I know that we've actually not really talked about Chavez in a little bit. Well, 
So let us know what you <laughs> thought about this DAP on our Talking Tom with Facebook page. And until tomorrow's DAP, go and learn. <laughs>